One of the difficulties of starting the sermon series is when I planned it out, I didn't know this last week was going to come upon us. I didn't know that starting this morning, I would have already seen this past week what it was. One of the things that I think many scream in our culture is that everybody else needs to change. They need to change. I'm right. You're wrong. And I'm going to tell you this morning, my sermon is not one of those to beat any specific group into submission. My sermon this morning is not to tell one side they're wrong. My sermon this morning is to tell us that God says we're all wrong. We have a lot to repent of. And as we discussed last week, if we're going to be a church that's done right, we need to be Christ-centered. The church that's focused on politics more than Jesus is not in order. The church needs to start with Christ, and everything flows out of that. And once we've started with Christ, we move on to making sure that we as a church are repentant. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. A church that God really wants to use needs to be a repentant church. A church that's willing to look at itself and not just others. A church that's willing to stand for truth instead of lies. When we talk about repentance, and it's a very loose term, a lot of people have grown up hearing that, sprinkled here and there, whether it's at church or even outside the realm. What are we talking about? Well, the word is metaneo. It means changed after being with, or to think differently, or a change of mind, if you will. It's not simply regretting that you sin, it's changing your mind about sin itself. Just because a a person feels bad about doing wrong does not mean they have repented. When a criminal gets caught, they don't necessarily repent. And sadly, that's what a lot of us do. We get caught and we try to give everybody the impression that we've repented. Repentance is a change of mind which leads to a change of action, proving the person has actually changed their mind. In understanding what repentance is, you need to see deep inside of a person and into their mind to know whether or not that repentance is genuine. Most of us change on the outside, hoping that the inside somehow works its way out, or sorts itself out, if you will. But here's the reality, folks, and I, and I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. Most of us, when it comes to repentance, don't know whether it's genuine or not, even in our own hearts many times. The reason being is every time we feel sorry for something, or we do something that we know God is against, we quickly rush to ask for forgiveness without realizing what we've actually done. Repentance is key for two main reasons. Number one, theological, and number two, practical. So number one, theological. One of the reasons repentance is misunderstood by many people is that they think that they just by trying to do better, they're going to please God. Just doing a little bit better is going to please God. That is what most of the world is right now. I just need to be a better person than I was yesterday. That's one of the reasons why we have self-help books that everybody reads. I need to improve in this area. 
Sadly, when it comes to self-help books, none of them come from the angle of the fact that you've violated a law of God. It's just, you need to be a better version of yourself. You need to not cuss as much, not drink as often. Don't do drugs. Those are all the things that the world says, hey, if you just improve in these areas, that's good for you, and you're better now. It's known by many in the church throughout the centuries as acts of penance. Acts of penance are prominent in the church today. Oh, I know, I was horrible last week. Here's a couple 20 bucks in the plate. God will be happy with me now. It came in the form of confession to a priest, reciting a certain prayer so many times after committing a certain sin. That's what people thought repentance was. Some still do. And publicly trying to make up for sins committed in private. What became dangerous with this view is that some would teach there was a limited amount of times you could ask for forgiveness. So you know what some people ended up doing? Waiting till their deathbed. By confessing to someone else. Repentance is a key word found throughout Scripture. But at its core, believer, it's theological. You can't work to the practical if you don't understand the theological. We don't change our mind about ourselves based on someone else's opinion. We change our mind about ourselves based on God's opinion, and that's biblical repentance. We don't just say simply, I'm better today than I was yesterday, so I've repented. I mean, let's face it, we've all been there, right? We've exploded on somebody one day, and the next day we've been super nice to them. Is that repentance? Just because we've modified for a little bit does not mean that we've repented. We need to see what God's Word says about this. And we need to see ourselves the way He does. So let's start with Scripture. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. We're going to see how dangerous it is to think that we know what repentance looks like in our lives. When we don't pay attention to how God says things, and we do things our own way, and we think we've got it right. This is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, that God calls out for not repenting. Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 4 through 7. Actually, 4 through 9. Moreover, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back? Jerusalem in a perpetual backsliding. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I listened and heard. But they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course. As the horse rushes into battle, even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times. And the turtle dove, the swift, and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. How can you say, We are wise? And the law of the Lord is with us. 
Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Notice the danger here that's mentioned in this text. That you have a people that fall and don't know how to get back up. They don't know that they're still on the wrong path when it comes to God. Even though they've been warned. See, more people in our country and in our churches are concerned with being politically correct than theologically correct. They want to appease everybody but God. And the only opinion that really matters is His. The nation of Israel at that time was on the same path our nation is on, the path of destruction. In fact, it was not just a path of destruction, it was a path of self-destruction. What's amazing is the fact that many of us think we know what's wrong with our country better than God does. It's always someone else's fault, and it's always the other party. We refuse to change our mind because we don't believe the problem in any way is us. We find ourselves constantly adjusting the moral code to our liking. If you've not paid attention, believer, we've kept adjusting the moral code in our country. We've kept doing that. Oh no, that's just old-fashioned, outdated. God is not right on this one. Let's move this line a little bit more. We mock God by refusing what God has said because we've been working on improving ourselves. Let me tell you, believer, if progressive Christianity is what we want, look around you. That's what you have. That's what you have. Our families are torn apart. Everyone's out of each other's throats this year. Our nation has not returned to God. The guilt of sin, we we reject just like the nation of Israel. And as God says to Israel, I want you to look at some of these verses in another translation. It's actually the New Living Translation here. Jeremiah 8, 4 through 9. I like how it clears it up. It says, Jeremiah, say to the people, this is what the Lord says. When people fall down, don't they get up? When they discover they're on the wrong road, don't they turn back? Then why do these people stay on their self-destructive path? Why do the people of Jerusalem refuse to turn back? They cling tightly to their lies and will not turn around. I listen to their conversations and don't hear a word of truth. Is anyone sorry for doing wrong? Does anyone say, what a terrible thing I have done? No. All are running down the path of sin as swiftly as a horse galloping into battle. Even the stork that flies over the sky knows the time of her migration, as do the turtle dove, the swallow, and the crane. They all return at the proper time each year. But not my people. They do not know the Lord's laws. How can you say we are wise because we have the word of the Lord when your teachers have twisted it by writing lies? These wise teachers will fall into the trap of their own foolishness. For they have rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? Here's the deal. 
I think one of the problems in our country is we've gotten so used to being free, quote unquote, that we just decide to define what we want in life. We've forgotten our dependence on God because we're so independent ourselves. We've completely rewritten the moral codes of this country and assumed that we knew better what would make a great nation than God does. You want to know what would make America great again, believer? Let me, let me clear this up for you. Very simple. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's when America would be truly great. If we exalted with righteousness. If we humbled ourselves, God would exalt us. This is more than just saying our government or people need to do better, which many of us define subjectively, right? We assume that person needs to improve, but not that one. This is having a moral or spiritual integrity ourselves as a people of this nation. Knowing what God wants and doing it. A good first place to start is repenting or changing your mind about what we think about Jesus. Just as the early Christian Jews did when Peter told them they need to repent after they saw a lame man walk. Look in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Turn your Bibles there. Starting in verse number 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of the Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So here's the thing. Peter tells these people at the temple, you picked a criminal Barabbas over Jesus. You picked to free the criminal and crucify Christ. You did it in ignorance. You didn't really know what you were doing when you did that. But Jesus is the literal fulfillment of God's promise of a Messiah. He's the one that's going to wipe your sins away. But he makes an important statement that they need to repent. They need to change their mind about who they believe Jesus is. You need to change your mind and realize your guilt before God, sinner. 
Not just your guilt because of the crucifixion, per se, but your guilt as a sinner yourself. You may not have been there present at that moment, but your sin is what caused Jesus to go to the cross. I'm here to tell you that we're all guilty before God. All of us are. And what Jesus did on our behalf is what should matter the most when it comes to repentance. When we change our mind about who he is, we start living differently ourselves. You see, if you look at Jesus as just a good teacher, you'll just keep looking for just some moral codes that just apply here and there. But if he's the Savior, if he's the one that rescues you from sin, then you're going to live with a heart of gratitude. God's not looking, he's not looking for us to do this on our own. He knows we're going to fail him. It's one of the reasons why he gave us the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this recently. The Holy Spirit's the one that draws us to Christ, and we continue walking with Christ because we have the Holy Spirit in us. If we don't repent and turn to him in faith, to Christ in faith, believing that Scripture is saying the truth about him, then we're headed for destruction, judgment. We'll have to pay the penalty ourselves. If you're one of those that says, uh, only God can judge me, right? Like, you've heard people say that. You might be one that said that. Only God can judge me. Well, let me assure you, you probably want to be terrified when you make that statement. Let's just say this isn't some conspiracy theory, okay? You're not going to like how that ends. In fact, Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 18, verse 3. He says, unless you repent, change your mind about yourself, and trust me, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He even says in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, I didn't come to call those who are self-righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners who know who they are before God. It's quite simple. If you know who you are before God, you will start making sure that repentance is an important part of your life. That means your mind is continually filled with what God wants you to think of. You change someone's heart, their actions follow. When we turn to him in faith, believing that Jesus has died and risen from the dead, our sins can be forgiven and we can be assured of heaven. If we get repentance incorrect theologically, we will also get it wrong practically. Let me tell you right now, if we jump to the practical and say, hey, we just need to do a couple things a little bit better in the church, and we're repentant, we're going to get it all wrong. It's one of the reasons why we have to start theologically, meaning we have to go start with God himself and realize what he sees in us. And not just to adjust the areas that we think we need to improve. You see how easy it is? You blow up on somebody, you know your problem's anger. You probably didn't notice the other issues you did that day, the other sins that you had. You only notice many times the very obvious ones. At least that's the way with me. So number two, repentance is also practical. Practical. In summarizing the law, Jesus told us that we need to start with God in loving him first, then loving our neighbor as ourselves. That is why repentance is important from a theological standpoint. 
And it has to be first. Because if we change our behavior in our lives just to make ourselves feel better or others feel better, we're not doing it for the right reason. If we understand who we are before God and have turned from trusting ourselves and trust Him, there will be practical implications of repentance in our lives and the way that we live before Him and others. I believe this is especially the key for the church to get right. Ezekiel 14.6, listen to what God says to the nation of Israel. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all your abominations. You see, most of us, we probably don't worship a little statue that we go home to every day. Maybe some of us bow before our kids. (laughs) That might be a problem. The reality is, the idols that we have are very different. So we say, eh, idolatry is not a big thing for me. I'm not exactly doing what they did in Israel. I'm not exactly doing what they've done in, in ancient history. We have things different today, so we assume that we're not committing the same sin. But I think we definitely need to think through this. As one author put it, and I know some of you have already heard me say this before, there are four main categories that we need to pay attention to and repent. Power, approval, comfort, and control. You see, some of us, with all this stuff going on in the world right now, we're all about success. We're all about winning, right? Like, we gotta win. Like, that's big. So when we're not winning, or it seems like we're not winning, that crushes us. One of our greatest nightmares for those of us that pursue success is humiliation. We're scared that we'll mess up. People around us sometimes, because we're pursuing something in life, they, feel, they might potentially feel used because we want to get something done. One of the problem sins when it comes to this is anger because when we don't get our way, we get very angry. For some of us, we're not so much about success. We don't really care about that as much. We have this longing to be approved. We long for approval. We love the affirmation of our relationships. We absolutely hate rejection. If we're rejected, it tears us up. People around us, they tend to feel smothered at times because we want to be around them all the time. One of the problem areas for those that are caring all the time about others' approval is they're cowards to stand up for certain things. I want you to understand, believer, that even at the end in Revelation, one of the things that many people miss in that text that says the fearful, the unbelieving, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars will have their place, one of the words there is coward. That's the idea of fearful. Some of us were like, ah, you know what? I'm not caring about any of this stuff. I care about comfort. I want it to be comfortable for me and my kids. Well, let me tell you right now, believer, God did not call us to comfort in this world. And if you haven't seen anything this last year, you're not too comfortable, are you? 
One of the worst things for someone that loves comfort is when they get stressed. They get overwhelmed. Anxiety kicks in into overdrive. The sad part is, is for people that like comfort in their life because they're not willing to have the hard conversations, people many times are neglected around them. Well, I don't want to be bothered with that. I don't want to address it today. We'll address it, some of you know, five years from now, ten years from now. It's terrible what happens. One of the worst things is people that worship comfort really have no desire to get things done in life and drop the ball on what God has called them to and in their duty to him. They want the easy life. Here's one that Pastor Roman struggles with the most. Those of us that really incline ourselves to love, to be in control of our lives. You want to make sure, because I'm self-disciplined, that my life works out the way that I want. Let me tell you, believer, one of the hardest things for me is when I know years ago I made poor decisions when it came to our finances. And I understood that in order to get out of this mess, I'd have to make some sacrifices. I had self-discipline you wouldn't believe behind the scenes. But then when I look at the world this year, especially this past year, 2020, I don't know, 2021, brace it to be even more intense. I realized that a lot of things are out of my control. I realized that all those things that I built back up in my savings account potentially could be taken away from me tomorrow. The most terrible thing for people that love control is uncertainty. Sadly, one of the worst things when it comes to people that love control is that people around them They feel like they don't match up, so they're condemned. Because they don't exercise self-discipline like that person does. It could be anything you want to think of in this life. Many different areas that we need to repent of. Your reliance on your hard work ethic instead of God's provision, believer. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard, but you need to know who gave you that ability. Your dependence on others rather than God. Others are sent by God to be his hands and feet, but they can't replace him and his word. For some of you, you're like, "Eh, I'm not dependent on anybody. They're dependent on me. Seems like the government's like that. Some of us can't find meaning because others are no longer dependent on us. The kids have grown. They don't come around all that often. It especially becomes difficult when they get older. I'm watching my kids grow up right now, and I realize one day I will not have them around. You need pleasure in your life, so you seek that with every fiber of your being. And anything outside of Scripture will cause you major pain. Every one of us has a sin that, if you will, is our pleasure sin. 
It's the place where our mind goes that we want the most when everything seems to fall apart around us. Something to ease the tension. You see, some of us, we've been so wrapped up in our political identity that we've forgotten our spiritual identity. It's very easy to get wrapped up into what the politicians want us to get wrapped up in. Some of us are wrapped up in our physical appearance. The way we look matters the most to us. Let's face it, some of us look better than others. But here's the kicker. Most people in the church pay attention to people like that. You know what they don't pay attention to? The spiritual jock. The one that's trying to show off about how much they know about God and how much better they are than everybody else. Some of us are really good at pointing out the physically fit person and not noticing that sometimes we're spiritually fit trying to show off to everybody else. Your spiritual appearance, if you will, your Bible reading, prayer, coming to church without a heart for God is wasted. You need to repent in that area. As Jesus tells the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2, listen to this, verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, remember the children of Israel? God's message doesn't change. There's still the church needs to repent in the same area as well. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Listen, believer, I know I've said this a few times, but I'm going to say this one more time, and I want you to understand that this is serious business. The church that doesn't care to repent will not be a church that God uses. If you're just reading to just read, if you're praying just to pray, if you're coming to church just to come to church, you're missing what God wants you to have. You've lost that passion, which is, I want Jesus more than anything. And he warns in this text that the church that does not repent and loses its first love is a church that dies. The only thing that resuscitates a church like that is repentance and turning back to God. So in conclusion, what will you repent of? What will you repent of? Maybe you've never really considered that the real problem in your life is sin. Well, you need to turn away from that and turn faith to Christ. You simply need to believe in your heart that Jesus paid your, for your sin when he died on the cross. Maybe you're someone that's already believed the gospel. Maybe you're somebody that says, you know, the good news that Jesus saves, I already believe. But if you're to be honest, you don't really care to turn from the sins you keep committing. Keep doing them, and you don't care that you do. God is calling you to turn from them just as you did when you first trusted Christ. You see, for some reason, we're a little more sensitive about sin many times when we first heard the gospel. But then we grow calluses when we are walking with God for a certain time. Turn from that need, believer, to control everything in your life. Let me promise you one thing. God is the only one that ultimately has control. 
in an instance, wicked people fall flat. Nothing surprises him about 2020. He knew it was coming before any politician did. Stop thinking the government will save you. Let me me just, it's important to mention right now. No government on earth is ultimately going to save you and me. It's failed you before. Let me me promise you one thing. It's going to fail you in the future. And don't think, since you're so independent, believer, well, the government's not the solution. I'm the answer for everything in my life. You're a miserable idol to worship. And I know how, you know why I know that's true? Because I know I'm a miserable idol to worship. A church that continues to repent is a church that God will continue to use. Let's pray.